It's Lisa Lillian, also known as Hungry Girl, here with my pals and co-hosts, Jamie and Mikey. Hi, guys. Hello. 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 How are you? Good, but you're probably better than we are after your... I'm rested. Yeah. Rested from my trip to the Bahamas. We're so proud of you for taking a vacation. (laughs) We tried not to email you at all. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. You really did a good job not emailing me. (laughs) (laughs) I actually was sending you emails, but I was scheduling them all and pacing them out for your first day back. I don't know if you noticed, like every 15 minutes. I noticed noticed something like on Sunday. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. There's the first one. Um, but it was it was so nice. It was really good to get away. I missed you guys. But Aww, was, we missed you too. But I liked fun. your idea. We'll do a Bahamas offsite uh, yeah. for the staff. Already booked the flights. You really flights. wrote that one down. Yep. You're ready to book those flights. No, no, they're booked. We're doing, we're doing it the first week of March. No, I'm kidding. I lost my Fitbit in the ocean, by Aww. the way. Oh, no. I kept joking until I was like, I want to see how many steps the, the shark is getting or whoever stole <laughs> my fitbit, but it, it didn't move. So it must've just fallen. Bottom I could, could you ocean. imagine if a little crab is crawling around <laughs> getting steps on my Fitbit? That's funny. Mm. Anyway, I'm very excited for today's episode. We are doing a little more myth blasting with Robert J. Davis, oh, our good we friend. Love Robert. He's the best. Mm-hmm. He's a PhD. He's so smart. Yeah. yeah. Everything he says, you just like, I don't know. You're like, wow, how do you know all that? Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like his whole thing, the healthy skeptic, anytime we hear something about the latest like food study, he'll be the first one. He'll look at the study and be like, well, that was sponsored by this, you know, brand Mm -hmm. that has an invest, you know, a reason to believe this. And it's he's just he's really smart. He really knows how to cut through the clutter of all the information Mm -hmm. out there. Cuts through the clutter. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. And he has a lot to say in this episode, honestly. But uh, I can't wait either. And first, we have a sponsor. We do. Today's podcast is sponsored by Just Bear Lightly Breaded Chicken Breast Chunks. I love these. So good. So good. Isn't it fun to have a sponsor when you know you're going to try it and you know you love the product Mm -hmm. so much? Yeah, Mm -hmm. no surprises. I think we're all eyeing that that Uh, plate of chicken. These are so good. I always get them at Costco. They come in a pretty big bag. I keep them in the freezer. I make them in the air fryer. They couldn't be easier. They could not be more delicious. I am a bit of a chicken snob and I can't stand when chicken is like spongy mm-hmm. or plasticky mm-hmm. or even worse when you get like a chicken nugget that has like unidentifiable chicken in the mm-hmm. middle of it. So these are just beautiful. It's all breast meat, no fillers, no rib meat, nothing. It's all natural, no preservatives, no antibiotics ever. Like I couldn't love these more. Can we try it? Can we try it? Yes. Yeah. I feel like chicken, a product like this is something that like you can't go with a generic version of like you have to have, this is the best. Mm-hmm. Yes. Except no substitutes. <laughs> Just bear as I chew into the microphone. It's so good. Whole family loves it. Mm, Guests love it. When our nieces and nephews come to visit, we put a sheet pan in the oven and we put them out. They will eat them all day long, hot, cold, anywhere in between. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I have my air fryer just Mm. on like autoplay. It's like (laughs) I fill it, I take it out. I fill it, I take them out. This is a total game changer. Like there's no need to go to like one of those fast food places and get those nuggets. Like this Mm -hmm. is like, it tastes like it was just, Lisa, did you make these? You made this. You breaded them yourself. <laughs> it tastes like it, right? Yeah. It's totally amazing. tastes like homemade. But what's so cool is it's lightly breaded. So you get kind of like that fried chicken fix, but it's totally wholesome. 
Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not like greasy and you don't have to make them with oil. It's just, they're amazing. Lisa, do you have any other like tips, tricks, meal ideas? What else do you do with these? Well, in addition to just like dipping them in barbecue sauce or sweet Asian chili sauce, I will eat them on a salad. Mm. I even put them in a wrap. Oh, you that's a great idea. Truly. You can do so many things. It's like the perfect meal starter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just bear. They really know what they're doing when it comes to high quality chicken. Absolutely. And you can find these at Costco and you could visit justbearfoods.com for more information. Thanks, Jamie and Mike. Now let's get into my interview with Dr. Robert J. Davis. Okay, jumping right in um, to these myths. First one has to do with sleep and sleep deprivation. I'm not sure this is actually a myth, but I have read a lot of studies that say that sleep deprivation can actually cause weight gain. And if it's true, what is the science behind that? So we have actually good evidence that there is a link between sleep deprivation and weight gain. We know this from observational studies. We also know it from lab studies where they actually take people, they assign some people to have very little sleep, say four hours a night. Other people sleep a long time. They follow them over the course of, say, a week. And after a week, they weigh them and they have found that people who are sleep deprived actually end up gaining weight. Uh, gain a few pounds. Now, there are a few theories as to your uh, questions to yeah, why that I have is, questions right? questions about this. So no one knows for sure. There are a few theories. One theory is that sleep deprivation affects our uh, appetite hormones. We've heard about these hormones like ghrelin, leptin. These are the kinds of hormones that affect appetite. So that's one theory. Another theory is that affects the uh, sleep deprivation affects the brain in some way. So the parts of our brain that have to do with impulse control or the reward center so that maybe people are less able to control their impulses to eat. Um, or it could just be that when you're awake more hours, you have more opportunities to eat more, right? So that's a possibility too. Um, so there, no one is sure why, but we do know from these studies that when people are awake longer, when they sleep less, they consume more calories. And so that's the reason that people end up gaining weight. And so I think the evidence, again, if you look at all the evidence, it's pretty solid that there is this connection. When we're talking about sleep deprivation, we're talking about people who get, say, six or fewer hours of sleep on a regular basis. It's not just occasionally not sleeping much, but on a, having chronic sleep deprivation, sleeping less than seven or eight hours a night. And it's probably a combination of all of those things, Could as be. you say. I do notice like there are days when I don't get enough sleep. Let's say I sleep four hours and I wake up and I am extremely hungry that next day. And in my brain, I know, I notice, I'm like, oh, it's probably because I didn't sleep a lot. And I don't think it's because I'm awake more hours. I think it's more that there's something that's making me hungry. I never, I never thought about it being like me not being able to control my impulses because of my lack of sleep. But that, I guess, could be playing into it too. But that's yeah, but, but it's likely it affects our brains in some way. I mean, I think that's, that's a plausible explanation. Hmm. Well, that's really important. People need to sleep. So let's say people do have trouble sleeping. Do you have any recommendations? Well, you hear the standard advice about what to do. You want to make Count sure- cheap. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that, at least it doesn't work for me. It may work for some people, but you want to go to bed and wake up at the same time each day. You want to uh, make sure your room is comfortable so it's not too hot, that it's cool. Don't drink alcohol or eat heavy me- or before bed or heavy meals before bed. Um, and I think another, another big problem for many people is looking at screens at night. So they look at their phones, they look at their computers, and the blue light is thought to, from those 
uh, emitted from those devices is thought to potentially interfere with sleep. So that's something else I think that could be helpful is to put away your phone, put away your computer at least an hour before bedtime. And plus it won't uh, you know, tempt you to stay up scrolling through social media much later than you otherwise would have if you didn't have the phone. Yeah, that's good advice. I do find that the screen makes me sleepy. So then I, I do look at my phone at night. I do have the phone very close to the bed. I will look at the screen. I'll watch something. Sometimes I watch TV shows on my phone or I'm scrolling through. And then when I'm done, I know sometimes my husband is also like on the computer. I wear those little sleep shades, you know, like the blind, the blinders. What are, right. what are they called? Are they like a little mask, a sleep mask? A sleep mask. That to me is like genius. That's like the best $3 you can spend. It just blocks everything out. Right. I use one too. It's, I, I find them helpful. Some people find them uncomfortable, but I think- They're silly. It, like Reuben Kincaid on the Partridge family always wore that. <laughs> They're silly looking, but I think for like $3, that could help you. That could, that could be a weight loss tool. And you know what? That's a good idea. <laughs> anyway. That, that can help. <laughs> All right. Now, moving on to a subject that we have heard a lot about, and I can never discuss this enough, and it's about calories and the types of calories. So- The real overall question is, are all calories created equal? The short answer to that question is no, but this is a matter of longstanding debate. You know, it's been conventional wisdom for maybe 100 years that a calorie is a calorie. And if you want to lose weight, it's a simple math equation. You reduce the number of calories. It's a matter of calories in, calories out. And people, you eat fewer calories, you lose weight. And certainly in the short term, that's true. And regardless of what the those calories come from, if you eat fewer calories in the short term, you will lose weight. The question, though, is really about the medium term and the long term, what's going to happen. Um, and so what we know is that not all foods are created equal with regard to weight management. 100 calories, for example, of jelly beans is not the same thing as 100 calories of pinto beans, right? I mean, because the jelly beans, you're going to eat those, you're going to get a sugar spike, you're going to feel hungry relatively quickly after eating those, and then potentially consume more food. Whereas if you eat uh, pinto beans, you're more likely to feel full and to not be as hungry as quickly. So you have to consider not only the number of calories in a food, but also other constituents. The fiber, more fiber is going to fill you up more. So if a food has more fiber, that's better. If a food has more protein, that's better. It's going to fill you up more. So you're more likely to feel full and not to eat more later. So that matters as well. So I think when people are considering what foods to eat, particularly snack foods, often the temptation is, well, I just pick whatever food has the fewest calories. So if the fudge bar or if the potato chips, the baked potato chips have the fewest calories, I'll go for those. But that can be a mistake uh, because it may leave you hungrier. So in fact, if you say, look at potato chips that are 100 or 120 calories, and you have that, you can either choose those or say nuts that are 150 calories, it might be better to take the nuts, even though they're a few calories more, Uh, assuming you can restrict how many you eat, because those are more likely to keep you feeling full. So I think people have to look at not just the calorie count, but also the other constituents in the food. And of course, then there's just the issue of health as well. You can eat a very low calorie diet that's not particularly healthy, that's not metabolically healthy. So So it's important to think about those other factors as well, the amount of sugar, the amount of saturated fat, other things like that, that are also relevant when you're thinking about what to eat, not only for your weight, but obviously for your overall health. Mm-hmm. That that totally makes sense. And I'm wondering also if foods are actually metabolized differently by your body. So I, I know that it, the feeling you get when you eat something that's sugary is different than if you eat something that's loaded with fiber and healthier, but is it possible, and I used to hear about this all the time, that it takes 
it burns more calories to metabolize certain foods than it does others. Like does your body metabolize jelly beans really quickly and it doesn't work very hard? Is that, a, is that true? Yes, it is true. The question is whether that makes a difference with regard to weight management. And that's a matter of some debate. Um, protein, for example, um, the body uses more energy digesting protein than it does carbohydrate or fat. So you would think, though, that, then that you would gain less weight because you absorb, uh, the body uses more energy to digest uh, that protein than you would equivalent amount of carbohydrate or fat. Whether that translates into weight loss in the real world is less clear. I mean, one thing we often hear about, there's a theory that we often hear about, this so-called carbohydrate insulin model. That's the idea that carbohydrates are particularly fattening because of the way that they're metabolized, that um, they cause a spike in insulin. Those calories are stored as fat. And then that causes people to feel hungry because they're not getting, their bodies don't get the energy, their metabolism goes down. And so that's a theory. Now, it's often presented as is though it's it a, true. Well, I need that's to the thing. Know. It's often presented as a, it's a fact. And there are people, there are doctors, Dr. David Ludwig is the leading proponent of this, who states it as though it's a proven fact. And the truth is, it's not a proven fact. Uh, it's not, it, it, it is a highly debated issue and there's circumstantial evidence, but there's evidence that also contradicts it. So I think what I would say is that we can't say that the carbohydrate insulin model is correct, but we also know that the calories in calories out model is grossly oversimplistic, overly simplistic. So I think the, the better approach is to think of it in terms of the way that I described, which is certain foods have different uh, properties and they affect how we feel differently and, how, and our sense of satiety, our fullness. And so that is, to me, is the sort of thing that we can be most certain about. And uh, and as we're thinking about whether foods have a different effect, whether certain sources of calories matter, metabolically, it's not as clear cut. And you mentioned carbs and we're talking about carbs. So I'm going to move on to the next question about carbs. It's the same thing. I mean, I, I, everybody is always asking, everybody wants low carb, low carb, low carb, but do the carbs matter? To me, I eat a lot of fruit carbs and I eat a lot of vegetable carbs, but I try to avoid carbs that are starchy carbs. Does your body, I mean, I, I know you, you touched on this, but I want to go a little deeper. Do you think your body metabolizes carbs from things like bread, even if it's whole grain bread or oats, even though they're healthy? differently than it does the carbs from an apple. So again, a matter of debate, a matter of uncertainty. Um, There are people that will tell you, as you know, that all carbs or certain carbs are bad. Um, I would say that we do know that processed carbs, highly processed carbs, those are things like chips, cookies, things that we know generally not to be good for us anyway, those often are processed differently. And it's thought that not only because of the carbs themselves, but the other ingredients they contain, often these uh, ultra pro- so-called ultra-processed foods, can have negative effects not only on our weight, but also our health overall. Why that is, it's not completely clear. People have different theories about that. So we do know that those types of carbs, those highly refined carbs and those kinds of foods are so-called bad carbs. And I think there's general agreement that we should avoid those. I think other carbs, which I would refer to as whole carbs, the, the kinds you just described, fruits and vegetables, whole grains. Um, I think that there's uh, a consensus, not everybody would say this, but there's a consensus that those kinds of carbs are, quote, healthy carbs. 
and that we shouldn't necessarily avoid those. Now, obviously, there's some exceptions. People have diabetes and so forth um, would need to be more careful about that. But the point is that those kinds of carbs, I think that um, we uh, we can consider beneficial with regard not only to our health, but also our weight. Okay. And I know, um, you know, with me, especially, I'm just bringing it back to me again. I love a lot of fruits and fruits are high in naturally occurring sugars. And I know sugars translate to carbs, but how do you feel about the sugars that occur naturally in fruits versus added sugars? And then I want to also touch on sugar alcohols. Right. So if you look at sugars and fruits, and what we know from studies is that when people who, people who consume more fruits don't necessarily gain more weight. And in fact, they are, they actually are more able to lose weight eating fruit. And you say, well, how that is that? How is that? Because they're higher in sugars. The difference is that the sugars that fruits, for example, contain the so-called naturally occurring sugar comes with, is packaged with um, more water and fiber so that it is absorbed more slowly than the added sugar that you would get from, for example, a candy bar. So that sugar is metabolized differently. And so that's why it's thought to have a different effect when it comes not only to your weight, but also your health. And so one exception to that though, and this is an important exception, is fruit juice because fruit juice does not have the fiber. So even though the, 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 the sugar in fruit juice is naturally occurring, say in orange juice or apple juice, that is quickly absorbed. And the amount that you have get from that can be as much as you get from soda. And so increasingly experts will tell you that we need to reduce, minimize our intake of fruit juice uh, because it is this, it's, it's basically the same in some ways as drinking soda. Now, you, you do have added vitamins and minerals, uh, which you don't get in soda, but in terms of just getting a sh- quick sugar spike from fruit juice, um, it's something that we need to be aware of. Well, that's why you have to cut it with like vodka. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, one way. You need to cut it with a little alcohol. That's Just one way kidding. to do it. Just kidding. Okay. What is the secret to making great toast? Oh, you're just going to go in with the hard hitting questions. I'm Dan Pashman from The Sporkful. We like to say it's not for foodies, it's for eaters. We use food to learn about culture, history, and science. There was the time we looked into allegations of discrimination at Bon Appetit, or when I spent three years inventing a new pasta shape. It's a complex noodle that you put together. Every episode of The Sporkful, you're going to learn something, feel something, and laugh. The Sporkful from Stitcher. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, all right. So we talked about sugars and we talked about carbs. Now let's talk about fats. I remember like the way, the way fat is viewed, it's so trendy. I just remember growing up, it was like fat is the enemy and everything was fat free this and fat free that. And you thought if you ate fat, you would gain weight. Then all of a sudden people said, no, fat is amazing. And fat is where it's at. And they say, eat foods that are loaded with fat and has nothing to do with weight loss or weight gain. Um, what is the real truth there? I I really am so curious about that. Do high fat foods make you gain weight? So the answer is somewhere in between. You're right for the eighties and nineties. That was a thing. Eat fat, get fat. Right. And so it, it didn't come out of nowhere. There was some evidence, for example, in animals, that feeding them high-fat diets would make them fatter. And also we know that uh, fat has uh, more calories per gram, twice as many as protein or carbohydrate. Nine calories per gram. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Nine calories per gram in in fat versus four in protein and carbohydrate. Right, so let's just like do a little little 
off a little conversation here, uh, just to help people figure out like total calories, there's a little bit of an equation. So each gram of fat has nine calories. Each gram of carbs has four. Each gram of protein has four. Typically, if you do the math, you can get your total calories, right? Right. So I know I'm getting off on a tangent here. How does fiber play into this? How come sometimes you'll see something that has, I just saw a product today. It had like 146 carbs, but a lot of the carbs came from fiber and then it subtracted that amount from the total calories. Is that BS or is that real? Well, there's debate about that. There is, it, it, there is legitimacy because to a certain extent, because some of the fiber, in some cases, perhaps all of the fiber is not digested. The question is, how much can you subtract? Can you subtract all of it? Can you subtract some of it? Can you subtract all four grams? Uh, can you subtract, or, or rather, four calories per gram? Can you subtract all four calories per gram? Can you subtract two? And that's where it gets tricky. Who know? How could we possibly know that? It depends on the food. It depends on the type of fiber. Because not to get in the weeds here, but there are two oh. types of fiber. Mm-hmm. There's insoluble fiber, and which you you find in uh, wheat, you know, bran, things like that. And then there's soluble fiber that you find in oats and barley and apples, for example. And so part of it depends on the type of fiber too, as to how much or how little that is actually digested. So, um, in there, and for example, in Canada in the United States, you're a, a manufacturer, manufacturers are allowed to, uh, subtract it entirely in Canada. They subtract it only partly. Really? Interesting. So that's things like, is it like chicory root or inulin, those types of things that you see when they're added to foods? Is that a way for people to sort of, do you think food companies try to trick, I don't, consumers into thinking it's real beneficial fiber and lower calorie by adding those things to products? Possibly, or they do it just because people want higher fiber foods and they, that's a way of increasing the fiber content. Mm-hmm. So back to the truth about fat and how we feel about it right, now. Right, right. So what we know, though, is that there have been stu- there's been study after study after study that's shown that low-fat diets are no more effective than low-carb diets or low-calorie diets at helping people lose weight. And so the problem is that this idea is still stuck in many people's heads that, well, we learned a long time ago and we still believe it that eating less fat helps you lose weight. So then people are more likely to fall for these labels on foods that say low-fat peanut butter, low-fat this or that, when in fact those foods are not necessarily more diet or weight friendly. So I think the point here is that fat is um, neither good nor bad. It depends on the kind of fat. It depends on the amount of fat. So I think this idea of simply saying that fat is bad and we should avoid it and it's worse than other constituents in food is, is not true and an oversimplification of nutrition. It leads me to my next question, which is about a similar subject only pertaining to protein. These days, everything is high protein. If now, because people don't want to drink dairy milk and they like almond milk, they're adding protein to almond milk. They're adding protein to cakes, adding protein to ice cream that's not made with dairy milk. How do you feel about all the added protein in foods? Is it you know, I've, this is like a three-part question. A, is that protein beneficial just like other protein? And B, what about all the different types of proteins? Egg white protein, pea protein, you know, whey protein. So the short answer to the question is that I think for the most part, it adds a health halo. We've talked about health halos. It, it makes a food seem more healthful than it really is. So you add it to ice cream, you add it to brownies, you add it to chips, the stuff that is otherwise junk food, Protein is added to make it seem more healthful. 
um, that doesn't necessarily make it more healthful because if a food is loaded with sugar or loaded with saturated fat or loaded with other unhealthy things, it's still an unhealthy food just because it has more protein. But I think this is a manufacturing trick, manufacturer's trick to help make a food seem more healthful because now protein's a big thing. People are trying, many people try to get more protein in their diets and this would seemingly be one way. Um, so I think overall that this this way of getting protein is not optimal. There are better ways of getting more protein into your diet. And in fact, it's not that hard to get enough protein in your diet. The rule of thumb is that you, generally is that you want to take your weight in pounds and, and divide it in half. So if you weigh 150 pounds, then you want to shoot for 75 grams of protein. If you're, if you're lifting weights and you're an athlete trying to do more, maybe up to uh, one gram per pound, but generally dividing it in half is a good rule of thumb. And if you if you use that math, and if you're not a vegan, um, it can be fairly uh, easy to get uh, enough protein. So if you eat or a vegetarian, if you eat uh, chicken, if you eat fish, if you eat nuts, if you eat eggs, uh, dairy products, all can give you sufficient protein. Protein powders are another way that you can add uh, uh, protein to your diet if you want to. You like um, those? I use those. I mm-hmm. use those. Um, but, you know, the downside of protein powders, like any kind of supplement, is it's processed. And so there are other ingredients. So you have artificial sweeteners. You have added stuff to it, which not everybody wants. I mean, when I look for protein powders, I look for ones that have the least, the sort of shortest list of ingredients, which means they're the least processed. Um, so uh, that's, but that's something there. I think as for, you want to talk about different kinds of protein? I do only because I'm going to throw another term into the mix that always confuses me, but it pertains to some of the proteins that I've seen. Incomplete protein. Right. I mean, I've heard that um, pea protein, for example, is not a complete protein. Actually, it's a complete protein. That and soy are complete proteins. So what are incomplete proteins? So a, a complete protein is one that contains not the nine essential uh, amino acids. These are the building blocks for your body to form muscle muscle protein. So um, they are not they're they're, they're uh, amino acids. Our body doesn't uh, make, and so you, we need them from food. And so th- any kind of animal protein, um, dairy, for example, uh, meat, chicken, sh- uh, fish. Those are all complete proteins. Soy is a complete protein, and pea protein is a complete protein. Other proteins, though, that you get from hemp or rice or other plant sources are not complete proteins. That is, they do not contain all nine of these essential amino acids. What about whey? Whey is a complete protein. And uh, whey is the best absorbed, which is why it's sort of the go-to for a lot of bodybuilders and other people. It's what I use. Um, But it is a milk-based product. So people that have lactose intolerance um, sometimes need to be careful about that. There are different kinds of whey. There, There are some kinds that are more easily digested than others. Um, there's also casein protein, which is also milk-based. That's absorbed more slowly. Um, but the best kinds to go for if you want a complete protein would be whey um, or soy or pea protein. Okay. But you think added protein, as long as it's in a food that's fairly healthy, is okay? I think it's okay. One exception to that is that a number of foods contain something called soy protein isolate. If you oh, look I see that all the time. If you look carefully at the list. And um, that's of concern because it is a highly processed form of soy. They take essentially the soy and strip everything else off from it. And um, there's some concerns about the processing may not be helpful. You know, there are some studies that have linked soy to increased risk of breast cancer and increased uh, sort of feminizing characteristics in men. I think by and large, those studies 
have um, the studies overall have shown that that's not true. However, there is some concern that we can't say we, that 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 soy protein isolate may have some of those or other negative effects. Um, it's not certain, but I try to avoid that just to be safe as I'm looking at food ingredient labels to try to avoid foods when possible with soy protein isolate added. But it's hard because it's in many packaged foods that have added protein. Okay, moving on to a subject that I hear about all the time. It's like one of the things that people email into Hungry Girl constantly about. It's about feeling bloated. People will say, I'm eating all the right things. I feel bloated or I feel bloated all the time. And even if I lose weight, I still feel bloated. Do you think that it could be due to food insensitivities? Do you think there are certain foods that people eat that make them feel more bloated? And is there something that helps with that, that people can add to their diets? So there, it is true that certain foods can have that effect. Now, everyone is different. So different foods affect different people in different ways, obviously. But we can, let's, let's talk about a few of these, okay? So let's start with an obvious one everybody knows about. That's dairy products. So people can have lactose intolerance or varying degrees of lactose intolerance. And so uh, dairy products can have that effect. Interestingly, yogurt, people that are lactose intolerant often can eat yogurt because yogurt in many cases has less lactose, that's the, the milk, the, the sugar rather in milk that causes the problem. And also the probiotics, the so-called good bacteria that are in yogurt help digest that. So that's why people can sometimes uh, uh, have no problem eating yogurt, but they don't have, they're not able to drink milk. Um, beans, obviously, lentils uh, can cause a problem for people. Now, if you soak those, um, that can help with digestibility of those. So if soak in water, soak those in water. So that's if you're making the beans, if you're just like yes. cooking the beans. Yeah. So if they soak in water, that okay. can be helpful right. with regard to bloating. Uh, certain grains, we know that also certain people have a problem digesting things like wheat, barley, and rye. It may be because of the gluten. It may be because of other properties of the wheat, but we know that some people feel bloated after eating wheat products. Um, sugar alcohols. These are sugar substitutes. We know you can identify them because they end in OL, erythritol, sorbitol, maltitol, things like that. These are partially digested in the, uh, in the gut, and so that's why they tend to cause bloating. Um, they're in a lot of packaged foods, and so if you are find that you have that effect from eating certain packaged foods, look on the label, and maybe because of the sugar alcohols. Um, Carbonated beverages for some people, including your favorite sparkling water, is, a, is an issue for really? some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, cruciferous vegetables, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, that can be an issue for some people. Um, the way around that is to cook them. Sometimes cooking them makes them more digestible, easily digested hmm. and doesn't cause bloating. And what about water? Can water help with bloat? Can yes. You drink more drinking water? more water can be helpful. Is drinking more water can be helpful, yes. Okay. Uh, and then I was going to mention also isolated fibers, fake fiber, um, things that, that are at fiber that's added to foods. And you can identify those by looking at the ingredient label names like maltodextrin, polydextrose, chicory root, inulin, things like that. Um, these are added fibers that can also cause bloating. So again, process, fu- processed foods, if you're having an issue with those, again, look at the label and, and ingredients like that can also uh, cause a problem for some You're people. just naming everything that's in like the diety products that are supposed to make people or help people lose weight that is going to cause them to feel bloated. It's well, ironic. <laughs> right. That is, that is absolutely <laughs> true. And I would say to people what to do is if you do find that certain foods from this list or longer list are causing problems, 
the best way to do is to eliminate the foods for a while, see if you feel better, then gradually reintroduce them um, to help identify which ones are the are the culprits. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, moving on to a different subject that has always intrigued me, and it's about medications that cause either weight loss or ma- or weight gain. The, what is the truth about medications causing weight loss or weight gain? Is it because they slow down your metabolism? Do they make you hungrier? Is it just not true at all? What, what do you know about this? Well, the answer to those uh, choices are yes to all of the above because they can have a number of effects. So yes, certain medications can lead to weight gain because of the reasons you suggested. Um, they can also increase fat storage. So there are another number of mechanisms by which they can do that. And so there are, there's a relatively long list of medications that can have this effect. And I just, I'll just rattle off a few. Antidepressants, some antidepressants, including SSRIs, which are very common, um, certain antihistamines, beta blockers, those are drugs that cardio uh, people take for uh, uh, high blood pressure and other cardiology-related conditions, diabetes medications, including insulin, mood stabilizers like lithium and prednisone, steroid hormone prednisone, just to name a few, and the list goes on. The point, the important point here is not every single drug in each of those categories causes weight gain, and obviously everybody is not equally affected. Some people would not be affected at all. Some people may be greatly affected. But the point is that if people are on any of these or other medications and are experiencing weight gain, it's going to either talk to a pharmacist, ask a pharmacist, talk to your doctor. Obviously, you shouldn't just stop the medicine on your own, uh, but ask if there's another drug in that category that you might try instead that may um, not have the same effect. Two others I might mention that are of interest to people. One is birth control pills. So a lot of women for a long time have, have said, have believed that birth control pills lead to weight gain for them. There've been a number not of- Not as much as pregnancy. <laughs> there, <and> that, <laughs> there, there've been a number of studies that actually have uh, been done that have failed by and large to prove that birth control pills lead to weight gain. They really? may lead to temporary, temporary increase in fluid, but mm-hmm. that is not the same as weight gain. Like water weight. Yeah. Interesting. Another category, which is interesting, I find interesting, is antibiotics. We know that antibiotics are used in farm animals to fatten up the animals. So the question is, might they have the same effect in people? There have been some studies in children that show that children who are on long-term antibiotics long-term do tend to gain weight. The question is in adults, again, the studies are not definitive on that, but there is some at least speculation that in certain cases they may lead to weight gain if people are on antibiotics long-term. Again, not a reason not to take antibiotics because they can be life-saving, uh, but if, if it, it, it is at least theoretically possible. Interesting. This is, how do, you're a wealth of information, Robert. I don't know how you, I don't know where it all is stored. You have quite a brain over there. Um, my final topic of the day is another hot, trendy topic that I think we touched on once before a little bit, but I wanted to dive a little deeper into it. And it's about microwaving plastics and that being detrimental to your health. Because I know people now, there are so many products, especially that we promote on Amazon. They say it's microwave safe, but it's plastic. And then Anytime we feature them, people are saying this is bad for you. What is the truth about microwaves and plastics? Yeah, this has been a subject of great debate and concern among people. So um, first of all, let's talk about if it says microwave safe on the label. So all that means really is that it's not going to melt in the microwave. There's no guarantee that it's not going to leach chemicals out into the food in that container. So that's number one that people have to be aware Wow, (laughs) that's Um, deceptive. Right. So the question is, what chemicals are leached out potentially, and how big a concern is this from a health standpoint? 
And so let's talk about the kinds of things that might be leached out. First of all, microplastics. There was a study recently that got a lot of attention that sounded scary that you know millions, if not billions of these microplastic particles are leached into food if you microwave it for three minutes. That's what the study found in, in a plastic container. Now that sounds super scary, right? That you're consuming, but the problem is that these microplastics are everywhere. They're in our diets, they're in our water supply. When you, I'm holding here a, a bottle of water, they're in the bottle of water, they're everywhere. That's plastic, that bottle, right? The water, I'm yes. right, a, plas- a plastic mm-hmm. bottle of water. Me too, I have they're one. In, they're, in, they're everywhere, so it's impossible to avoid them. Whether these have an effect or they just pass through our bodies, we don't know. Scientists at the at the moment, a lot of scientists say that we don't have evidence that that's harmful. But the point is that um, they're everywhere. So my, microplastics are one thing that can leach into uh, into our food if we microwave, if we heat uh, plastic containers. Um, also, chemicals uh, known as phthalates, chemicals known as BPA. That's something that people hear about too. These chemicals can leach from certain plastic containers. Uh, when we heat them. Now, again, these just like microplastics, they're ubiquitous. They're not just in plastic containers. They're everywhere. Phthalates are in cosmetics, for example, and uh, BPA is in eyeglass, certain eyeglasses. They're everywhere. So it's not as though if you were to eliminate that source, you're going to eliminate your exposure entirely to these chemicals. But there, it, is, it is thought that when you uh, microwave certain containers, these can leach into the food that's in the containers. Again, whether that's harmful, the FDA says no. The FDA says the levels to which you are exposed are not harmful. But really, it boils down to, are you a person who uh, would rather be safe than sorry? Or are you a person who says innocent till proven guilty? And so that's up to each individual to decide how big a risk they uh, feel that that is to them personally and what they want to do about it. For me personally, I think on the list of risks to worry about, I pretty I put it pretty low. I think things we can get overwhelmed with risks, right? I mean, everything seems scary. And so I'm more concerned about my overall diet, about my exercise, not smoking, not drinking too much, Mm -hmm. things like that. But I think if people are concerned, then there's some fairly simple things you can do. Number one is don't microwave uh, in plastic containers. Use glass, use other materials to microwave. Also, do not put uh, plastic containers in the dishwasher because high heat can actually break down the plastic as well. So that's something else that people can do. Wait, 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 back up. So if it goes in the dishwasher, does that mean that the other dishes are contaminated? No, it or means, it means that, that, there's, that, there's, that, that that container has uh, has chemicals that are leaching more into the containers. So and when, when you, you put, use it when you next use it again time. and put food oh. in there, it may get into the food. So that's the concern. Wow, I do that all the time. So again, that's a fairly simple thing that people can do if they're concerned. Um and then if, again, in terms of looking at different kinds of containers, if you look on the bottom of a plastic container, if you see the uh, numbers three, these are the recycling numbers, three or six or seven, try to avoid those. Those are ones that are more likely to have chemicals, harmful, potentially harmful chemicals that could leach into food in those containers. So that's something else. to If, if you're concerned to watch out for those numbers, those recycling numbers, you know, a little triangle mm-hmm. on the bottom of are the plastic. Are there good numbers? Any other numbers are considered better. Like so three, six, and are seven. the ones to avoid. Okay. If, if what you, about if for roulette? Can I play those numbers on roulette? <laughs> you, you can try and okay. see what happens. All right. Wow, Robert, this is you're amazing. Thank you. I, I can't thank you enough. If people want to find you and learn more about you, where can they? I don't know. I, I heard you have a few books, and maybe you have a website. Where can people find you? They can find me at my website, healthyskeptic.com. 
And uh, there I have not only information, but also videos that I've produced on these and other topics. Um, they can also find me on social media at, on Facebook, uh, Robert Davis, Healthy Skeptic, and on Instagram at Healthy Skept, S-K-E-P-T. And what is the, what's the book that you'd recommend people picking up if they just want to pick up one of your books? I would say my most recent book called Super Size Lies. It's about uh, the myths around weight control, what's true, what's not, and what actually works um, that may surprise people. It's a great book. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Wow. What a great info-packed episode. You guys, if you think you missed any of it, you should check out the show page for a nice little roundup of the show, as well as links to Robert's books. There's a lot of good ones out there, so you should definitely check it out. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Lisa Lillian, also known as Hungry Girl. Till next time, chew the right thing.